The Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble struck a responsive chord in its community, in the Commonwealth, and across the country with an original play titled Letters to the Editor, developed from 200 years of letters to the town's newspapers. Writers' subjects ranged from schools and roads to the Bill of Rights. The letters are addressed mostly to the editor or dear sir or dear sirs, and we get a sense that many of the writers may have personified the town of Bloomsburg itself. Dear Bloomsburg, please listen. Here's a letter addressing civic matters from the subsequent book. Dear sirs, I would like to tell anybody who is interested that we people in Fernville who were in the flood got a tax rebate last week. I got a dollar fourteen. My sister-in-law got a check for 63 cents. My neighbor got 98 cents, and his brother got 45 cents. I think it cost more to hire somebody to make out the checks and pay the postage. I paid $250.65 last year in taxes. Do they think $1.14 means anything? If they would have used the money to put up at least one street light, it would have made more sense. Signed, Lucy. And the letter ran in the morning press, January 17th, 1974, that from Letters to the Editor, 200 Years in the Life of an American Town, the book. Also in the collection, though, is a letter from November 1993 from a writer who is a survivor of child sexual abuse and who is calling on all members of the region to protect children. And while this is a public plea, the writer's own personal pain is scarcely hidden in the letter. Emerging from the pandemic shutdown as they are about to do, the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble chose its first play carefully, and as it happens, they have turned to a theater piece rooted in a familiar form. Not letters to the editor this time, but letters to an advice columnist. In the old days, columns like Dear Abby, for example, running in the newspaper. Now they are picking up on more personal appeals, such as Lucy might have made if she'd written to Sugar. Sugar is at the center of Tiny Beautiful Things, based on a New York Times bestseller. The Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble will resume live performances on May 21st, out of doors, at Greenwood Friends School in Millville, with a production directed by Andrew Hubachek and Michael Yurgis, featuring Amy Renee Byrne as Sugar. Elizabeth Dow, James Good, Daniel Roth, and Eric Wunsch play the various characters asking Sugar's advice. We had a chance to speak by phone with Amy Renee Byrne, who plays Sugar, and co-director Andrew Hubachek about BTE's return. This is a celebration for us at BTE because this is the first time that we will all be assembled together as an ensemble and as a company in front of hopefully a living, breathing audience, not a Zoom audience. And we are so happy to be back together in the same room again, playing together, doing what we do best, and hopefully doing it for an audience of people who are hungry to see live theater again. We've definitely learned some stuff working on this particular project. You know, we're still following COVID protocols when we were indoor rehearsing. Um, and this play is, is actually sort of written in a very interesting way where it's not a very physically interactive play, 
the letter writers that are writing into Sugar for advice are, are sort of appearing in and outside of Sugar's world. So it's not a, uh, a large physical interaction play, which kind of made it great for social distancing which was really uh, interesting during the rehearsal process. And then uh, just this week, we have moved to uh, being outdoors at Greenwood Friends School, which is such a beautiful, amazing location. And it has been very, it's just been so good for my after heart and my art heart to be with people outside working on a piece of live theater in person and I think that there's something exceptionally great about this being the play that we're getting to do that with because it is so much about human connection and the universality of human experience and these things that bind us together as people. So it's it's been all around a really interesting and informative experience. Andy, can you tell us a little bit about how this became a play? Because it wasn't always. Tiny Beautiful Things, I guess, it's based on the best-selling book by a woman named Cheryl Strayed and adopted for the stage by Mia Vardalos. And Strayed was a a struggling writer when she was offered the job writing an an online advice column called Dear Sugar. And she kind of redefined the genre, I guess, by employing a kind of radical empathy and brutal honesty sometimes and applying her personal experiences to help her letter writers who were seeking guidance for all kinds of, of difficulty. And if there's anything that I think the world knows about at this point after 14 or 15 months of, of being in a pandemic, it's, it's the experience of difficulty. And I think that's what this play does and why we chose it, because the difficulties that are presented in the play are really identifiable by just about everyone, even if you haven't experienced them. I will say that it is a play that is meant for adults because it does discuss uh, themes like depression, uh, drug abuse, sexual, physical assault. And you'll be hearing stories of real trauma that Stray, played by Amy Renee Byrne, then addresses in a very kind of intuitive, wonderful, sometimes counterintuitive way. So it's a play that is difficult, uh, but it's, it's the thing that theater does best. It brings people together to express their lives their pain, and their joy. And it's an ultimately healing play uh, that's very uplifting. Amy, did you ever read Dear Abby? Were you old enough to remember the Abby letters? I did read I did read Dear Abby. It was one of my favorite things that was in our uh, local newspaper when I was growing up. And uh, I, I always thought it was like maybe a little bit weird that I read the Dear Abby columns because it's not something that, that other people my age were into, but it, I found something about it very fascinating from a very young age. Um, I always liked to read Dear Abby's advice and decide if I thought I was given the same advice or different advice. <laughs> Even at a young age, you were matching wits with Abby. Now, you've talked about it with us already in a way that it's real human experience. So you, in order to create sugar in this play, are you channeling your inner Amy? How are you finding the character? Uh, That's a really great question. You know, I have to say that this is one of those rare pieces of theater that from the very first time I read it, I was able to see and hear my own voice in it. And that doesn't happen often for me with roles. You know, a lot of time there's a lot of character work and a lot of digging to find the place within me that is this character. And uh, that wasn't true for this role for me. It was a really quick 
uh, identification with the role. Cheryl Strayed has a tendency to write in a way that is very similar to my natural speech patterns. And for the most part, her point of view is something that I really strongly identify with. Um, there are only a couple of places throughout the play where I wasn't completely on the same page as, as Cheryl with, with her advice. And there's a lot in this play that I relate to on a very, very personal level, and I think that that is going to be incredibly true for all of our audiences. I don't. I would be shocked if somebody said they walked away from this play and there wasn't a single part of it that resonated with them in some way. I think we have all had some form of one of these experiences throughout our lives. So there really is, you know, something for everyone, something that every single person can relate to. Andy, in describing the play, Amy told us that Sugar and the people who are advice seekers are not interacting with her in tremendously physical ways, sharing the space in very close ways. What does that mean then for you as directors, you and Michael, making it compelling? It's the interaction between the advice seeker and the advice giver, of course, that is compelling. But what do you do to support that, draw us in through the art of theater in addition to acting, perhaps, or working with the way the actors are placed in that space? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, a lot of it is, is the actors. A lot of it is kind of like modifying and adjusting what the actors are doing in terms of their relation to Amy Sugar. So much of it has to do with Amy, and I think Amy is correct in saying that she fits Sugar like a glove. So it's their interactions and the way that the letter writers themselves relate to each other Sometimes there's a kind of a chorus of letter writers that are talking at the same time. So there are some kind of like different uh, theatrical devices that we use. And of course, it's on a platform in at literally stunningly gorgeous fields surrounded by mountains in the country in, in Millville, Pennsylvania. So it's kind of, a, kind of an environmental kind of theater. And, it, you, know, the, you know, blackbirds are, are flying by. It's kind of a, it's kind of an experience. <laughs> it's kind of a happening. <laughs> and there is a sound design. That, that is true. There will be some music that will accompany and sometimes comment on some of the letters, and hopefully that will add another dimension of humor and you know pathos too. Do you talk to yourself a lot, Sugar? <laughs> I do. I do talk to myself a lot. It's very interesting when we when we first started working on it, one of the big things that was important for me to distinguish was when Sugar is talking to herself versus when she's talking to the letter writers versus when she's talking to the audience. So there is also a sort of a component where, you know, the, the audience is also immersed in this world with us. So even though there's not a lot of physical action on stage, it feels very active and it feels very present and it feels like you are a part of it. The letter writers are integrated into a play in a way that they feel like they are one of you. And so it really puts the audience into the, the mindset of the, the letter writers that are, that are writing into Sugar and seeking this advice. So it, it, it feels a little bit like an immersive experience without the audience being required to actively participate in it, if that makes sense. Does Sugar go through a journey? You know, we have characters having arcs. Does Sugar learn about herself in addition as she goes along? Does she grow? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is one of the 
the more challenging arc throughout the play is Sugar's actual arc. She utilizes her own experience to give her advice. Um, and, you know, she says this thing that when she, she takes on Sugar, she writes the only way that she knows how, and that is with radical sincerity and open arms. So she takes in this advice and she gives genuine, sincere uh, information and stories about her life to inform the, the advice that she gives to, to these letter writers. And she's not afraid to admit that she doesn't know everything. She doesn't take herself super seriously. But, you know, Dear Sugar came at a time in Cheryl Strayed's life when she was struggling to write a second book. She had two kids. Life was really, really chaotic and overwhelming. And Sugar kind of was this thing that was just for her, if that makes sense. It wasn't about her next book. It wasn't about her kids. It wasn't about her husband. It wasn't about her chaotic life. It was a, it was a thing that she could do that was just hers that reached other people and touched other people and, and of course, consequently, touched her in ways that she didn't expect. And so Sugar really grows throughout the course of the play just because of this reciprocal relationship between her and the letter writers. They they really become a part of her world, and she becomes a part of theirs. The title is Tiny Beautiful Things. Amy, you've just laid out some things that are perhaps the tiny beautiful things that emerge from these exchanges then. Is that what the tiny beautiful things are? Andy, tell us, what do you make of the title? I think that's an apt thing. I won't tell you, you know, there's a story that goes with the title of the play, which you will find out if you come to the play. But I do believe that, like, all of the, the things that, that Stray Ed, that Sugar gives to the letter writers, the small things that she gives to letter writers to keep them, to help them to heal, to help them to survive and to persevere through their difficulties. Uh, that's, that's how I see it. And I would imagine that each of you, you, Andy, you, Amy, and each of the cast and crew probably have a sense of just what you said, Andy, about helping people heal. This production, it has some extra resonance just because of what it is and what it means in May into June of 2021. (laughs) I do think so, for sure. I think, you know, everyone has uh, encountered isolation, difficulty, depression. People have lost people, friends, family. Uh, you know, it's been a traumatic time. And I do think that if you come to this with an open heart and an open mind, that this, this is healing. I've watched this play now so many times in rehearsal, and it never fails to hit me at different points in the play. And what, I think watching it for me has been very healing over and over and over again. So I do think that it will do that for those who come. And Amy, you suggested that you resonate in many ways with sugar, but that makes you extra vulnerable, doesn't it? It does, um, and that's something that's always a um, that's always a challenge for an actor is walking that line between, you know, being truly vulnerable and available on stage for a part, but also protecting yourself emotionally and staying emotionally, mentally healthy and safe as you as you go through a process. This is definitely a show that I'm glad that I am taking on at this point in my career when, you know, I've had I've had the training necessary to to develop safe mechanisms for dealing with stuff that's really close and emotional to me and puts me in a vulnerable place and 
I, I sort of know how to do it safely. I also have, you know, a really amazing work environment in BTE in that they really honor that component of the work. So throughout the entire rehearsal process, if there was ever something that was challenging in an emotional way or putting me in a bad place or anything like that, I was completely free and able to say like, hey, I need to step back from this for a minute, or I need to talk through this, or I need additional support when it comes to this particular story, what have you. So I was really helped a lot along the way by my directors and by my coworkers at BCE. I would just say too, come to this play to see Amy Renee Byrne perform in this too. She's doing amazing work, amazing and beautiful, stunning work in a kind of a monumental role. So that's just another reason to come to see the play. Oh, thank you, Andy. Sure, it's true. Oh, that's wonderful. And I just wonder, because of the circumstances, because of the nature of the play, timing-wise and all that sort of thing, are there old, wonderful stories that are coming out? Like, there was the time when we... We didn't really tell a lot of stories for this, Erica, because, you know, we were wearing masks. And, um, you know, our kind of communication has been short-circuited in some ways because of that, I think. I do think that one thing that's been notable is sort of this, like, common... I don't know what the word for it is. It's not a nostalgia for being back in the room, but just this kind of common revelry and like, oh my goodness, we're back in a room together. And I, I can't speak for anyone other than myself, but I have I have really been trying to just revel in the, the presence of that and like stay present in the moment and soak up every second of being back into a rehearsal room, making theater with these people. So it, it's interesting because even though this play delves into people's histories and stories, as the basis, we, we haven't really been looking backward a lot individually, I don't think, throughout this process. It, it really feels very present. Yeah, it feels like, um, you, know, you know, since everything was cut off so long ago, it does actually feel now like kind of the past has been unmoored and is floating away. And like, I think more than anything, we're looking to the future and like, let's get back into that theater and start doing the new things that we have with with uh, new people and, you know, with all these new things that have been coming to us in this time where things have been fallow. You know, we've been doing a lot of work at, at BTE, too, like rethinking how we want it to be in the future. Andrew Hubacek, who co-directs with Michael Jurgis and Amy Renee Byrne, who plays Sugar, speaking to us in anticipation of the return to in-person theater by the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble. Starting May 21st, Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble will present the play we've just spoken about, Tiny Beautiful Things, based upon the bestseller by Cheryl Strayed and adapted for the stage by Nia Vardalos, and they will present this at Greenwood Friends School in an open-air venue, and it will run for three weekends. That's in Millville, Pennsylvania, and it will play Friday through Sunday each weekend, starting at 6.30 in the evening and concluding before sunset. You need to get your ticket in advance, and tickets are available from the BTE website, bte.org, bte.org, or by calling the box office, area code 570-784-8181, 784-8181, area code 570. 
as Andy told us, Tiny Beautiful Things is meant for an audience of adults. And it starts May 21st and runs for three consecutive weekends, Fridays through Sundays, starting at 6.30 p.m. at Greenwood Friends School in Millville. And for more information on the web, bte.org, bte.org. Thank you.